Welcome to A Voice of Reason with your host, Kathy Horton and Sherry Petro-Sardell. We are offered new opportunities for growth daily. And with new opportunities, challenges are presented. Together, we can address the challenges and explore these opportunities. Now, here's Kathy Horton with Sherry Petro-Sardell. Welcome to A Voice of Reason. This is Kathy Horton, and I'm with Sherry Petro-Sardell. Today, we're going to talk about how, how the psychology of the human condition affects our spirituality. Hi, this is Sherry Petro-Sardell, and I'm sitting here with a cup of tea and my Wonder Woman cup, and we want to share with you what Kathy and I have been doing for over five years, spending time chatting about things of the world and things of our heart and and our mind. My husband calls them, oh, there they go with their deep thoughts again. So we invite you to join us, get a cup of tea or a glass of wine, and share with some deep thoughts. It's true, Sherry. Um, I have often had this opportunity to sit down and chat with you, and I'm very interested in what we can do to bring more peace to this planet (laughs) And I also just want to learn and grow so I can show up a bit better each and every day. But now I've invited a whole audience to participate. Yeah, you do things like that. (laughs) Uh, It does happen. So to kick things off, Sherry, can you help me understand what you mean when you speak of spirituality? And what's the difference between spirituality and religion? That question is one that many are pondering these days. That question is one that many are pondering these days. There even is a movement out there called spiritual, not religious. The way I found best to explain this is something our teachers do in school. It's the let's compare game. What's the difference between this shape and that shape? So let us do the same thing with religion and spirituality. The best explanation that I have ever heard is from Deepak Chopra. This is what he says. Religion is a belief in someone else's experience. Spirituality is having your own experience. Religion often tells us what is true. Spirituality lets you discover it for yourself. It is really the difference between reading, let's say, about another country and then actually visiting it. So, Sherry, if I heard you correctly, we get to own our own spirituality, where religion oftentimes is some, it's a perspective that involves somebody else's vision as well. You are right. So you get to own it, as you put it, by experiencing it as you go. So can you give us an example? I can. The one that stands out in my mind is um, a trip to the Holy Land. So let's say you are a Christian and you're a believer in um, this being the birthplace of, of Jesus. And so you've read about it and your religion has taught you about it. And then you go and you stand in the Garden of Gethsemane and you suddenly realize it isn't what's been told to you. It's what you're experiencing at that very moment. You're moved emotionally. You're connected to the sights, the sound of that experience. Right now, you're not having a religious experience, although you're Christian. You're having a spiritual moment. That's a great visual for spirituality. I appreciate that. Also, I've heard you talk many times about the human condition. Can you give us a perspective of what you're speaking about when you refer to the human condition? Well, this show, uh, Voice of Reason, is really all about gaining a better understanding of ourselves, both the human part of ourselves and the spiritual part. They really can't be separated. But this thing called the human condition has been analyzed and pondered and labeled from so many perspectives. Religion, science, philosophy, literature, the arts, psychology, biology... They all are studies into pondering the human condition. 
so it does bear some clarity. The human condition is made up of the characteristics, the key events, um, the situations that make up our very existence as humans. From birth to mortality and everything in between is part of the human condition. And as I said, there are so many different um, teachings that ponder the human condition. Every major religion has beliefs regarding the human condition. Christianity says our human condition begins with a sinful condition. The Buddhists teach that our human condition is a perpetual cycle of suffering in order to learn how to give up attachments. Philosophers have ideas about the human condition. Descartes, Plato, Socrates, they all spoke on perspectives of the human condition. Now, my field is um, psychology and spirituality. Psychology has many theories regarding the emotional and the physical needs that make up a human condition. Take Maslow. He discovered or proposed the hierarchy of needs and the identity crisis. Then there's Eric Erickson, and he created the idea that there are stages of development that we all have to go through in the human condition. And then there's my favorite guy, Viktor Frankl, and he was all about man's search for meaning. And these are just a few of the aspects of the human condition. So that's a, a great introduction for us. Um, I've heard it said many times that we are spiritual beings on a human journey. Can you give your perspective of how that is different from being human on a spiritual journey? Here's another good chance to do the comparison game. First, I'd like to hear what you think it means. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Well, that is a good question. Um, What I would say is that it's all about our own level of awareness. For me, while I was in the corporate world of software, I traveled extensively. My travels took me across the world. My priorities always seemed to be on work first. Yet in my travels, I was sometimes able to explore the cities I visited. I was able to go to many churches, cathedrals, temples, shrines, and more. But I always did so as a curious tourist, and I could stay in my left brain. I was very analytical, and I was checking off items on my exploration bucket list. My church, when I got home on Sundays, or when I, was, I wasn't traveling on a Sunday, was a morning bike ride where I could explore a bit in nature. Today, I see spirituality in everything I do, whether it's working in the garden, taking a walk, serving in a nonprofit, or just enjoying a conversation such as this. Mm. So, when you were more in your head, and you were maybe doing life as if you were a human being on a spiritual journey, by seeing the churches and the temples and the shrines and, and visiting things as a tourist, that's a really good way of saying it. That when we live life as a... Um, a human being on a spiritual journey versus being a spiritual being on a human journey, it's a good concept to look at being a tourist on this planet. But when you moved into the world that everything became spiritual in some way, living your life as a spiritual being, you're no longer a tourist, you're part of the landscape of it all. Did I get that? That was a great explanation. Great words to put to that. Wonderful. Well, this concept of being a spiritual being on a human journey actually began with the French philosopher Chardin. Just to add to your already great explanation of this, I want to say that we are operating from a spiritual being on a human journey when we have a sense that we are more than this body and this mind and our ego, that there's more to us and to every situation. Living in a, as a spiritual being, you see things more from metaphorical ways and 
Um, metaphysics is a big part of that. One, the human being always emphasizes this body, this mind, this ego. But the spiritual being says, oh, we are so much more. And not only are we so much more, but we're connected to it all. So, Sherry, is there anything more you'd like to share regarding the weaving of these topics? Well, this is the time where I start to go into my deep thought. But one of the intentions of our show is not only to weave the concepts of spirituality and the human condition and psychology by addressing these constructs, we also want to encourage people to think about new concepts, to be introduced to new aspects. So for right now, I want to introduce another ology. We know there's psychology and there's physiology. Um, let's talk about a concept called ontology. Yep, that's what I said, ontology. There might be a few of you that are familiar with it. I wasn't familiar with it till a few years ago. And then it was part of my spiritual being on a human journey, discovery. Ontology is the part of understanding that we are so much more. That we are connected to everything and part of everything. Ontology can be said in a more of a definitive uh, direction. It's the study of the nature of being, our becoming, our existence outside of anything in this physical realm. It is considered a branch of metaphysics, which is a branch of philosophy that includes abstract concepts of being, of knowing, of time and space. Plato and Aristotle were metaphysical ontologists. Ontology, I would say, is the essence of our being as we are. Does that, does that resonate? Well, it was, it was a little bit deep. Um, maybe it was very deep. But anyway, it's stretching my brain just a bit. But what I heard is that uh, the philosophy of ontology is the essence of being. It's the interactive relationship of bringing together our humanness and our individual experiences. We're not separate. So my rudimentary example of this would be when I am talking or we are talking about spirituality or our souls, as I see that is extending beyond my human body. Mm -hmm. Am I on the right track? You are. You are. So I heard you say essence. Thank you, because that triggers something else that I would like to share about ontology. I would say a great combination of your mind and my mind figuring this out is that ontology is knowing that the essence of our energy in time and space is not connected to time or physicality. It's actually energy. So we do know that we're all energy. Everything is energy. We're atoms moving and creating. And when the atoms come together and they congeal, it takes on a form. The cup that I'm drinking out of, my Wonder Woman cup, our body, all of that is just energy congealed. Now when the cup breaks and this body dies, the energy just changes form. It does not leave. It, it's still present. So that would be how ontology would address this concept. And to me, that is part of being, being a spiritual being and having a human experience. But the ontology is that I will exist long after this experience or my body in the form of energy. So um, before we head to break, I would just interject something that uh, you actually taught me. And it is just uh, words that I can choose to really set the intention of how I want to show up. And one that I often choose is benevolent, which is living with the intention to bring goodwill or good energy into any space. So thanks very much for that, Sherry. So it's time for a short break. 
Stay with us to hear about how our brains work with all of this. This is Kathy Horton. You are listening to A Voice of Reason on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions, some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Life carries many uncertainties. Just when we think we may know where we are headed or think we have what we need, life happens and we are redirected. Join host Trina Wines each week for Life Happens, Let's Talk. By hearing stories from people just like you, as well as guest experts who can help, you'll arrive at your own understanding of the role you play in creating the outcome of your life. Listen live every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to A Voice of Reason. To reach the show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd prefer to connect via email, our address is info at avoiceofreasonbook.com. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back to A Voice of Reason on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Before our break, we were talking about our essence and our energy. I'm open to learning more about that concept, but for right now, I would like to better understand how my psychology impacts my humanness, or is it how my human condition affects my psychology? You're a quick learner, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so psychology is said to be the study of human behavior, of performance, of mental operations. And there's also a field of psychology um, called neuropsychology, which is the study of how the brain affects our behaviors, how we think. Now, we all share the human condition, yet we have had different experiences that have created different belief systems and different responses also to common situations. Um, The best way that I can explain this is let's take... 20 people, 20 people can have the very same human experience, but, com- but um, perceive it completely different. So that sounds great, but can you share an example with us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people can experience a roller coaster ride as the most terrifying experience in their life, one that they would not want to go to. It's certainly not fun, and they would avoid it at any cost. It's a roller coaster. Another can take the same stimuli, the roller coaster, and think it is the best thing. It's the most fun. I can't wait to go to try everything in the park. So they're having the same stimuli, a roller coaster, but they experience it differently. Shopping's another good one. One, there are those of us who can uh, get a high out of shopping, just being there. We don't even have to buy. We just look at all the colors and textures and fashions and food or whatever we're shopping for. But then there's another group of people that can get so stressed out 
and to the extreme where they can have a panic attack walking into a mall or a grocery store. Some people love the challenge of a roller coaster and finding what they're looking for in a store, and others just want to bolt when they're in those experiences. So that's how I explain that each of us, our psychology is different because it's made up of belief systems and experiences and emotions that we have. Does that make sense? Oh, it really does, and that I find all very interesting. So I'm going to have to own up here. I know I want to bolt when I get into uncomfortable situations. For example, I love going into bookstores and bike stores, but I can get overwhelmed pretty darn easily when I go into a grocery store. And in fact, I'll share a recent example. I had all of my groceries in the cart other than deodorant. And I ended up leaving the grocery store without my deodorant because the distance to the personal care area and the number of selections I knew I'd see when I got there just felt like too much. I'll also share another example. I know that there are times where I can just sink my focus into a puzzle and shut out any feelings. Mm. Wow. This sounds like that you might be a fleer. You said you could want to bolt in those situations. Well, this is where I think understanding our brains and how they work is all part of the human condition and can make some sense. What we're talking about right now is defense mechanisms. So let me introduce you to the part of the brain called the limbic system. Now this part of the brain deals with three key functions. Our emotions, our memories, and arousal or stimuli. So in the limbic system there are two small almond-shaped nuclei and they are called amygdalas. They are the survival police When you think of amygdala, amygdala, just think of fear. That's their job. They're always on duty, scanning for danger. I like to think uh, think of them as little radar antennas just spinning around, looking for danger wherever it could be. Now, they once played a very important role in our survival. In other words... There was a time, you know, when there were lions and tigers and bears, saber-toothed tigers, creatures that could have been able to completely destroy us, annihilate us. We were not of the stronger in that um, element. The animals were. But we had something that saved us, amygdalas. So during the time of lions and tigers and bears, they helped us survive extinction. And we can thank the amygdalas for that. Thank you, amygdalas. They sensed danger. And when they did, they released a hormone that helped us to decide if we should fight, flee, or freeze. So it sounds like When you get in uncomfortable situations, you just want to flee. Well, these response or defense mechanisms, in short, we call them the FFF alarm. Now, what I'm going to say about fleeing, fleeing is not always meaning that you actually run away and run out of the store without your daughter on. (laughs) Um, Fleeing can mean what I do. I'm also, I tend to flee more than fight or freeze. And so for me, it most often looks like something is said that gets me scared or um, intimidated in some way or mad. And in my mind, what I'm doing is I'm saying, I'm out of here. I am so done with this conversation, and then my mind just flees someplace else. Okay, so let's go back to the lions and tigers and bears. Now, there are a few, a few, actually very seldom times, but there are a few when our lives truly are in danger, we could be annihilated, um, become extinct in our own being, 
but not like it was in the beginning when the amygdalas were on full-time duty. So because the limbic um, system operates more from the primal part of our brain, it doesn't know that the, there really are not lions and tigers and bears around us all the time. So the alarm is much more about protecting what if it's not our actual lives. The FFF alarm is about protecting our ego from attack and from annihilation. So this is why often when someone says that something that is harsh or disagrees with us, the FFF alarm goes into play. Well, I just want to jump in here and let you know that, it, especially since you're sitting right next to me, that uh, I was able to stop at the drugstore where this, <laughs> it was a quick run in. And, and although there were a lot of uh, selections, it wasn't quite as uh, bad for me. So and you got your daughter? I did. So yeah. I just wanted to keep you comfortable here. Great, since I'm sitting right next to you. <laughs> so... Um, now knowing that I want to flee in stressful or anxious situations, what can I do about that? Well, there are times um, in our lives when we probably should flee. First of all, I want to say that is that if we're in an unsafe situation, maybe we won't be annihilated and maybe our ego won't be completely broken, but it's a situation where there's a potential for some abuse, where um, it could be verbal abuse or emotional abuse. Or if it's something that really goes against your values, then um, flee. So I want to make that clear that we're not saying you never should free. Flee, but it's important to access and assess the potential whether this is really a time where nothing good is going to happen and you have to leave the situation or it's more about an ego discussion with you. The ego is saying, oh no, I'll never make it through this. She, Her voice is harsh or whatever. So knowing that will help. I want to encourage those who want to also, as I'm hearing you, want to shift from the old brain, the limbic part of the brain functioning, um, to show more growth and evolution. You want to shift from that into higher functioning, and that's to be able to understand and cognitively build your development around these defense mechanisms. The limbic system and the reptilian part of the brain is the most primitive and the most powerful coping function of the brain. But it is a fearful two-year-old. Let me say that again. That part of your brain, which is also called the the reptilian part, because it's the oldest, it behaves very much when it's afraid like a two-year-old. We don't want a two-year-old running the show of our life. We need adult supervision. And that's what I think your question was. How can you handle this? And that's be the adult in the room. Absolutely. So um, I suggest that the first and the most basic thing that any of us can do when we're anxious or we want to fight or flee or freeze is to breathe. Hmm. Breathe. Now, I know you might be saying, I am breathing. I'm breathing then. If I weren't breathing, I'd be dead. Yep, you're breathing, but it's called panic breathing. That does not supply oxygen, oxygen to the brain that can help you assess the situation well. So just as we have to sometimes give two-year-olds some timeouts, we even say to them now, now just breathe, sweetie, just breathe right now. Well, Mm -hmm. this same technique is what we need to do first. There is um, a form of breathing that is used for anxiety, panic attack, and to clear your thinking, and it's called the 478 So uh, that means that you're going to take in air on the inhale to the count of four. You're going to hold it to the count of seven, and you're going to release it all in your exhale 
to the count of eight. And it's best to do it three times. While you're doing that, it's also good to think of something peaceful, something that makes you feel safe. This is what we do with our two-year-olds. We give them a little time out. We set them down. We get them to think on something different than whatever they're anxious about. And we help them breathe. So next, I want to ask you something from what you just said to me. Because my last one is, Kathy, is that if your adult is in the room, your adult is going to ask your two-year-old, what are you really afraid of? Your answer might surprise you. So what were you really afraid of when you had to go over and look at all, walk across the store and find those deodorants? What were you afraid of, really? Boy, I'm not sure, but I really pictured all of the different selections of deodorant and knowing I had no idea what I really was looking ah. for. It seems so simple, but to me, uh-huh. it seemed incredibly stressful. Okay, so from that, I could just, I'm not saying it's true, but I'll make the interpretation that what you were afraid of is that you weren't smart enough to pick the right deodorant. Oh, darn, that hurts. <laughs> and the ego does not like to be told it's not smart. It'll get out of the situation before that. Hmm. So um, what I just shared with you, is there anything you want to kind of recap it for? Because you yeah. represent the audience, you know. Exactly. So let me make sure I heard you correctly. So if I'm feeling anxious, first and foremost, I should just stop and take a few deep breaths. Next, I want to bring some peaceful thoughts to mind. I'll tell you one that I use often, and that is, all is well. And then lastly, to really take a look at the growth opportunity, I ought to take some time and ask, what am I really afraid of? And doing all of this is going to help me avoid acting like a two-year-old that is feeling threatened in a dangerous world. You got it. You are a quick study. (laughs) Maybe it's all of these talks that we've had over the years. (laughs) Or the glasses of wine. (laughs) Or a glass of wine instead of tea. (laughs) Well, um, we are coming up on a short break. We have talked about lions, tigers, and bears. Stay tuned to hear Sherry talk about the monkey. This is Kathy Horton, and you are listening to A Voice of Reason on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. Have you always known that something different was possible for your life and in the world? What if you could create beyond your current reality? If your relationships, finances, business, health, and life could be anything, what would they be? Join Heather Nichols for an invitation to discover what is true for you in every area of your life and for conversations loaded with pragmatic tools for how to create it. Listen live every Monday at noon Pacific and 9 p.m. Central European time for Creating Beyond Reality on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Succeed. 
are listening to A Voice of Reason. To reach the show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd prefer to connect via email, our address is info at avoiceofreasonbook.com. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back to A Voice of Reason on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. So Sherry, what do you have to tell us about the monkey? Oh, those monkeys. <sighs> There's nothing more entertaining than monkeys. Maybe it's because they bear a slight resemblance to us human beings, particularly when it comes to behavior and fear. So Buddha described the mind as being filled with drunken monkeys. All right, now just stop for a moment and picture that. Picture your mind and all these monkeys jumping around, falling all over each other because they drank too much. (laughs) Now that's an image, isn't it? It seems to be made clearer when I explain to you where this came from in terms of the Buddhist tradition. Is that um, we in Michigan have lots of squirrels. Maybe where you live, you have a lot of squirrels. There's nothing unusual about seeing squirrels. What is a little unusual about, unusual about the part of Michigan that we live in is that we have beautiful velvet black squirrels. And they're very entertaining, and sometimes you take a little time to watch them. But most of the time, you know, they're just part of the landscape, squirrels. Well, in the countries where Buddhism is most prevalent, instead of squirrels that are everywhere doing shenanigans, it's monkeys. So the Buddhist monks are not allowed to work or earn money because they are not to have much possessions. And they're to be humble. So they would sit by the side of a busy thoroughfare or pathway and beg for alms, for money, so they could be fed that night or find a place to stay. While they're sitting there, they're also watching the people that are going by. And they notice a striking resemblance between the monkeys on the side of the road and the people on the road. What they seemed to notice was that they do a lot of swinging from limb to limb and back to limb. They also do something called nitpicking. Um, We know what nitpicking is when we do it with each other, but they will pick something off of their skin and they will smell it and taste it and examine it. and, And then the next thing you know, they're tired of their own nits. They go over and they pick one off of another monkey. And then they taste it and examine it and whatever. They do do that. Um, They have endless chatter. They are not quiet. Um, My son lives in Costa Rica where monkeys are very prevalent. And they are so noisy. They're just noisy. Cute as can be, but noisy. There's another thing that monkeys do that isn't always so pleasant to talk about. I um, come from Chicago originally, and in Chicago we have two great zoos. One of them that I would frequent was Brookfield Zoo. And for the longest time, I'd go into the primate, primate house, and I just loved watching the monkeys. And I would stand, and there would be about an eight-foot, six- to eight-foot bar uh, wall of bars. And you could watch them, and you'd have a little gate around you. Then suddenly something happened. I went to the zoo and there were no longer just bars. There was big glass around the monkeys. Well, that was because of this habit that monkeys have. They like to play with their crap. So they'll play with their crap and roll it around and toss it up in the air. And when they're tired of playing with their crap, you know what they do is they throw it. They'll throw it at somebody, and that's what they would do to the spectators. Now I'm wondering, does any of this sound familiar to you? Because this is what we humans do, particularly when we're afraid. The monkey mind or the frightened eagle will 
swing from thought to thought. We will nitpick ourselves and judge ourselves. And, and then when we get tired of that and it doesn't prove any reward, we'll go over and start picking on somebody else. That endless chatter that you have in your head that you just want to stop, that's monkey talk. And unfortunately, we humans play with our crap. And when we don't know what to do with that, we'll put it on somebody else. We'll throw it at someone else. So these are the similarities that we talk about when I talk about monkey mind and monkey talk. Boy, sadly, that's all too too real for me is um, certainly being able to relate to the nitpicking and how easily, if we're not aware, that can come into play. And just uh, just the crap that actually occurs when that happens. But I also can just relate to the ch- that chatter in your mind that just uh, creates the ruminating thoughts that are not helpful at all. Mm-hmm. So let me take that and um, can you help me understand how this monkey talk is related to my ego? Good question. Well, when we talk about ego, I'm, we need our egos. They're important to us. But what I'm talking about is the healthy, well-developed ego versus the unhealthy two-year-old child ego that's very fragile. So the ego, the fragile ego and the monkey mind, they're both afraid of being annihilated. They're both very self-absorbed. Neither will take responsibility for their own actions, and they both judge themselves and others, and they both come from a fear base. The ego uses defense mechanisms to protect itself, and the monkey mind is the part of the brain where the defense mechanisms rule. So that's how uh, they can be interchangeable. The thing is, I have never seen an ego. So using that word, I don't have a vision of it, but I've seen monkeys. So usually I will talk about the ego or the frightened part of my brain or the two-year-old as a monkey. Uh, That makes a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. And, you know, as as soon as I start visualizing the monkey, and I'm guessing where you're going with this is, that unhealthy part of the ego really relates to the egotistical behavior that we we can uh, run into. Um, so I tell you what, um, with all of that, can you provide some examples of what monkey talk sounds like? <laughs> monkey talk. Well, it remember that monkeys. Um, at their most advanced state, the chimpanzees, and that um, have a an intellectual capability of about a two-year-old, within the two-year-old range. There have been some chimpanzees that can go as high as four-year-old, but around two-year-old range. Here we go with the two-year-old again. Sounds familiar, (laughs) doesn't it? It does. So to not allow the ego or the monkey mind to run the show, there needs to be an adult in the room. When we are in our healthy ego, in our right mind... We are the adults. The not-so-good news is that the two-year-old never grows up. So that you have to expect that you are always going to have a monkey mind. The, The really good news is that you can tame or train your monkeys. Remember, this part of our brain is where the FFF alarm resides, and it is command center for fear. One of that, most of that sets the alarm off um, is the fear of being annihilated. The lions, the tigers, the bears, they are all, for the most part, non-existent to us now. So the things that we perceive as danger are more about our ego fears, such as embarrassment, rejection, isolation, and the likes of it. And truly, when was the last time you died because you were embarrassed? (laughs) I'm still here. You're still here. (laughs) I haven't died because I've been rejected. So it's that kind of um, 
conversation that we have where we're the adult in the room and when we're saying, I'm going to die, I can't do this, I can't, can't handle it, um, this is where monkey, monkey mind comes into play. And so then speak to it in that way. Now, monkey talk, you ask how it, you recognize it. Monkey talk um, will always be fear-based. So if it's coming from a fear place, probably there's monkey mind involved. It um, does the comparison game and refers. So if it's you saying, this person is better than I am, I'm no good because I see this person doing that, that's monkey talk. It's also the judging part of others. When we start to judge others as well as ourselves, that um, that's monkey mind. And so we have to remember that anything that is harsh coming from a state of fear that has judgment to it, that um, nitpicks, all of that, the things that we notice about monkey behavior is monkey talk. Wow. Um, Sorry, really uh, listening to all of that and I I can just see myself in in everything you're saying. So let me let me share an example that comes to mind is you know in my earlier years when I would be in a performance review my brain's antenna was spinning quite a bit. Um, I could not even appreciate what was being said the compliments um, that I would miss because my brain was just waiting to hear. What in my performance wasn't good enough? Yeah, yes. And that's truly that fragile ego, Mm -hmm. thinking someone's out to get me and I'm really not good anyways, and when is that going to be brought up or discovered? And so we all have that. Right then, that was monkey mind, and you need to take some deep breaths, tell it to calm down, and um, say something like what you said is all is well, and enjoy the experience. Well, I'm sure wondering how many times I've missed the good news and the compliments because the monkeys in my head had already convinced me that I was going to hear bad news. Mm-hmm. Yes, good. Thanks for sharing that. I want to just remind us of something that the monkey mind and the monkey talk all come from the limbic, which is the fearful place within us. So what, my, what I say to myself when I start to get into worry and fear, I will often remind myself of a quote by Mark Twain. What he said is, I have experienced many terrible things in my life, of which maybe a few actually happen. <laughs> and research shows that 80% of our fears never happen. 10% of them you can't do anything about. And the other 10% you can. And that's what we want to talk about on this show. So you want to give me back some what what you're experiencing right now with all of this information. Well, let me uh, let me tell you where where I am. If I heard you correctly, mm-hmm. I can help myself with growth opportunities by being more aware when I am reactive in situations. Yes. And then I can take a look to see if there is any real danger that I need to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. I then can reflect and look and understand the behavior of my monkey. And again, I want to ask myself, what am I afraid of? Very good, but don't forget to breathe. (laughs) Oh, good point. (laughs) Okay, so on a voice of reason, we always want to do more than just give information or share information. One of our intentions is to leave you with tools that you can improve your life and this thing called the human condition. I call it passing the dessert tray of possibilities. Take what you need, take what you have a taste for, leave the rest. The tray will be passed over and over again on this show. So today I am offering up some helpful parenting tips to tame and train your two-year-old monkey. Tip number one, don't beat up your monkey. That is abuse. Remember, it's a two-year-old, and it's all about fear. Tip number two, breathe calming breaths. Tip number three, 
recognize what is monkey talk. It's monkey talk if there's harshness and judging and nitpicking, if there's comparisons, if you're jumping from thought to thought, limb to limb. It's monkey talk. If there's maximizing or exaggerating, it's monkey talk. So just calm the monkey talk down by asking yourself, is that the truth? Do I know it's the truth? And what am I afraid of? When you do that, you know there is an adult in the room. Wow, this has all been very helpful to me to better understand spirituality, my essence, and the human condition, both for myself and for others. Today, we talked about spirituality, the human condition, humans on a spiritual journey, ontology, the fight, flight, and freeze responses, and then lastly, the monkey mind. I certainly have learned a lot, and I look forward to learning more. To put all of this uh, into action this week, I'm going to be more aware of when I react in a situation, and I'm going to pay attention when I feel I want to flee. My plan is to put my two-year-old monkey into daycare so there'll be an adult in the room. Hmm. That sounds like a good plan. I'm a life coach, and with all of my clients, we work on having plans. I call them smart plans, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based. You just gave me a smart plan for taming and training your monkey. Well, I want to thank you all for joining us today. We do look forward to meeting with you again and again to explore the world of possibilities, to pass the dessert tray, to look at the psychology and the spirituality of our humanness, to remember that we are spiritual beings on a human journey. So thank you, and I look forward to being with you again soon. Well, thank you very much for joining us at A Voice of Reason. Please send us your thoughts as every discussion improves with more perspective. We look forward to hearing yours. Our next show will cover the new serenity prayer. Tune in and don't forget to breathe. Thank you for tuning in this week to A Voice of Reason. Please join your host, Kathy Horton and Sherry Petro-Serdell for another edition next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until then, have a terrific week.